Hi, Jeremy here. Thank you so much for tuning in to one of my legacy podcast episodes. This episode was part of my original brand name that I unfortunately can no longer use. However, I wanted to keep these episodes up and running purely for your entertainment and to continue to offer exposure and appreciation to all of my guests that came on. There was a lot of love and work put into them, and I just didn't have the heart to take them all down. All of the external links in the description have been changed to reflect what I am currently offering, and I have gladly retained all of our special guests' links. Please be sure to check them out and disregard any mentions of my former brand announcements. I do hope you'll enjoy this legacy podcast episode as much as I had recording it. Remember to take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you very much, and I'll always be here for whenever you remember why. Enjoy! Welcome. It's Nostalgic Magic. Today, I welcome back my friend Chris Martins to talk all about nostalgic television through WandaVision. Hey everybody, welcome back to It's Nostalgic Magic. Of course, this is the podcast. My guest is actually a returning guest. I'm so glad to have him back onto the program. Please, everybody, welcome back the nature boy, Chris Martins. How are you? Woo! How you doing, about? I am doing great. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Good to talk to you. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about this. Now, everybody, Chris was actually a guest on one of our previous episodes, Nostalgic Themes Within Watchmen. And if you haven't listened to that, please go back and listen. It was a great episode. Make sure you read the graphic novel of Watchmen before you listen to that episode, of course. Uh, Chris was on with my other friend, John, from high school. Shout out to LaGuardia High School. And we talked about a whole other uh, slew of things. And I had to have him back on because for this episode, everybody, we're actually talking about something very interesting. We are talking about nostalgia television through WandaVision, which of course was a huge show on Disney Plus, very successful. And it is continuing phase four, I believe, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just wonderful to be able to have Chris back onto the show. So Chris, I actually wanted to start by asking you, what were some of your favorite television shows growing up? And which of these would be like the most nostalgic for you? So, you know, I was looking, I was thinking about that question and, and, the, the answer to that is so wide ranging, I feel, because we grew up in the era of we're watching whatever's on TV. You know, whatever is on TV is what you watch. So I was watching shows that, you know, somebody maybe of, a, of an older generation would say we're too young for. But I remember very clearly watching those regularly, like something like um, I Dream of Jeannie or I Love Lucy, which I really loved. I Love Lucy as a kid. And then, you know, you go farther into maybe more of the, the sitcoms of the 80s, you know, that we grew up with stuff like uh, The Cosby Show, or uh, I remember um, Three's Company being one that I liked for some reason. I don't know, something about the all the adult themes that, that were completely over my head being very amusing. And of course, the great Don Knotts. <laughs> but, um, you know, when, when, you, when I think about what I'm nostalgic for, really, it, it's the ones that, that were probably more in, you know, my formative years, so maybe past when I was a child to more getting to teenager aged, something like, you know, Seinfeld is, is definitely one of my favorite shows of all time. You know, and you know this, The Simpsons, definitely a favorite of mine. And, and I think just kind of the linchpin 
of people about our ages, cultural knowledge and humor is The Simpsons, you know? Yeah, I think I had said at one point in another podcast that The Simpsons services itself to its own language for our generation. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you in that my formative years, definitely a lot of my most nostalgic TV shows came around that era. Definitely Animaniacs for me. A lot of the Warner Brothers shows, definitely Disney Afternoon, which I'm definitely going to want to do a podcast on pretty soon. I didn't even think about any of like the kids shows. I guess we're talking about WandaVision. That was so sitcom based. But yeah, of course, all those all those shows very, very much. That's the kind of stuff that, you know, when you start seeing all the Disney pluses and all that stuff out there and they have them on there that you're like, oh, I got to go watch that. I think, I think one of the first things I watched off of Disney plus was the X-Men cartoon from the 90s. Yeah, another nostalgic show for anybody who grew up during that era. And yeah, of course, when you think about sitcoms, we actually were pretty fortunate because if anybody out there had cable in the 90s, they had Nick at Night. Mm -hmm. And it was a two-hour block of, or three-hour block. I can't quite remember, but it had shows on from the 50s, the 60s, 70s. I remember that they had this Nick at Night block party summer. So they would have I Love Lucy Mondays, Adam's Family Tuesdays, Bewitched Be Wednesdays, um, you know, that kind of thing. Welcome Back, Cotter Fridays, you know, right. so they would have all of these classic sitcoms available for us kids if we chose to, you know, sneak downstairs and turn on our parents' cable box and want to watch those shows past our bedtime. Mm-hmm. So we were in this nice pocket of time where we could actually watch those on television before they created the TV network of TV land, which was branched out of that. Right. Right. I actually, I, I didn't grow up with cable, so I missed out on a lot of that. But like I said, I just, I watched whatever was on and a lot of that stuff just was still on, you know, channel five or channel 11 in the middle of the afternoon or before they started putting cartoons all, all day on. Yeah. And I was actually going to reference Channel 11. If you stayed up about an hour past Seinfeld and Frasier, you got to see MASH. Right. Taxi. Mm -hmm. They had uh, Coach. They had Bob Newhart. They had Newhart on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we actually were able to like catch glimpses of what television used to be. Mm -hmm. Pretty, it was pretty cool if you were able to like wake up in like two o'clock in the morning with the television in your room and be like, oh, what is this show? What the hell is MASH? <laughs> right. That was uh, with the moment you blurred out Bob Newhart. I, again, just going back to Simpsons references, just my head went right to Bob Newhart, everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> gave a wonderful eulogy to Crusty the Crown. I love it. It's uh, <laughs> and, and, and bless um, Phil Hartman. Bless his soul. Yes, bless Phil Hartman. We want to try to talk about favorites now, like favorite television shows, your first experience with a favorite television show. Do you remember where you were or how old you were, what it was? Yeah, I, you know, I don't really, because I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I remember I remember bits and pieces. Uh, there's there's little things that stick out in my memory, not maybe those initial feelings of, of really falling in love with the show or something like that. But there's there's things that stick out to me. Like I remember as somebody who loved Seinfeld for years, like I loved Seinfeld's a kid and I would watch it just because like my brother and my sister were watching it. It wasn't until years later of watching all those reruns again of going, oh, that's what they were referencing there. Right. And there's a lot of things too where it's so many things that just went completely over your head. So 
There are little things like that that I remember standing out to me as far as like a place and a time. Like, not really, you know, I just, I just remember being on the couch in the living room, getting mm-hmm. all the TV and watching TV. Enough thing in and of itself. With me, it's very interesting because my long-term memory is pretty sharp. So I can remember sitting down in the living room watching TV shows from when I was four years old. Like I remember when CBS had Raggedy Ann and Andy on and, you know, Muppet Babies and Thundercats. You know what I mean? Like I remember seeing those bumpers, which uh, for any kids listening, a bumper is when they would have like a warning that your show is coming back on. So if you were like in the kitchen trying to make a sandwich, between like you know four minutes of commercials or two minutes of commercials you literally had to like grab what you could and run back to the television show you didn't miss your like show i remember seeing all of those at a very young age when they started to like slowly get rid of those i was like ah things are starting to change i'm getting older so i do remember being on the couch, in the living room, watching the television. But like seeing specific things on the television, I do recall, especially like what I said with those bumpers. Those stick out to me. Mm-hmm. Very nostalgic for me. Okay, we're talking about the nostalgic impacts television had on WandaVision. But when it comes to narrowing down the subject as to the why of its nostalgia, what big picture elements do you believe are important when bringing this very bold and beautifully executed show to an audience raised on internet streaming? The key was really that when they put this show together, and I, I would, you know, I, I didn't see anything that says this was done intentionally, completely intentionally, but I can't imagine that it wasn't. They were very much playing with many different generations of nostalgia. So even though it was going on to new media, streaming platform, a place where people were, you can pick up your show at any point in the day that you want and watch it as opposed to the, you know, you had to be there at eight o'clock on a Friday to watch it or else you would have missed it until it's in reruns. They were playing with a lot of different people's nostalgia throughout the series. And the really important element to that came down, I think, to Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen, who really nailed those eras one after the other after the other, while still being true to the characters that they've been portraying that people were already used to. From a, a production perspective and from an acting perspective, it was a very interesting watch and one that I really appreciated because it was so, it was nuanced. It was nuanced in the way that they did it, the way that they portrayed these eras in these shows and they're all very very specific too that's the thing like it it all the way they did the intro of each series um the way they filmed each episode and the way they acted through each episode uh, there there are very specific beats that lend themselves to a bigger picture of what was popular at that time of television but was very specific to the show that they were in so in the first episode It was Dick Van Dyke, right? It was more like a Dick Van Dyke kind of show. It's like an I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke kind of feel. I feel like the second episode was more Bewitched. The second episode was definitely Bewitched. The first episode, I think it not being my generation, I went, oh, well, this this feels kind of like this. But I think I'd seen somewhere that it was said it was supposed to be Dick Van Dyke show. Okay. So Okay, so Dick Van Dyke first episode, Bewitched second episode. In the third episode, we're getting into Family Ties. I think, right? Because I think they Brady come... Bunch. 70s. No, is it Brady? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. They did Brady Bunch in the 70s, right? I'm sorry. Yeah. Then they get into 
And I'm like, the intro is all very much like seemed like that too. Yes. When um, they jump from, um, like I said, I think the one, the one after Brady Bunch was uh, like Family Ties. And then Full they house. go to like Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Well, that was definitely, like, that was the thing. Like that, that episode, the moment it starts, you go, Malcolm in the Middle. You know, right. like from, from someone from our generation. I didn't even watch that show. But like, I just immediately went, okay, the way they're doing this intro, the kind of like the kids talking to the camera kind of thing. Like there's a, just so many of those elements. And then something like Modern Family. And someone can say, well, you know, what's what's nostalgic about Modern Family in modern sitcom? That show aired for, I think, eight, nine seasons. It aired for a while, but there are kids but now. Saying, that, that show is now over. And yeah. it, was, it aired for eight, nine seasons. That was like 10 years ago. So let's say a kid was 10 years old when that show started. They graduated high school already by the time it was over. That's a nice big span of somebody's life. So you, there was enough nostalgia for everybody in that series. And, and the key was bringing about the elements without hitting you over the head with it with a hammer that made anyone who was in that particular frame of mind or had that particular memory just click and go, oh, yeah, they're doing this now. Mm-hmm. And that was really well done, I thought. I think that this show, upon watching it, was so beautifully executed, like I said before. What stuck out to me was seeing some of the reactions of the younger generation, I, I could call it, you know, the the now Gen Z, if you want to, you know, call it that. They were saying that the first two episodes were absolutely boring mm. and I don't blame them because they have uh, they have internet streaming. They have a la carte entertainment. So it wasn't like they had to sit themselves down and like, you know, they're dedicating this time at this time before they go to bed to like do whatever. They could pick it up, watch whenever, or you know what I mean? But like they're watching these first two episodes and the pacing, the timing, the cadence, the rhythm all of it serviced so well to calling upon that nostalgia for a generation before us, even maybe the generation before them. And so you're, you've got this fourth generation of television or, you know, entertainment watcher being like, what kind of a show is this? They really think this is going to fly. And of course the show picks up. It's also important. I mean, it's important not to just put that on Gen Z because I think that there were a lot of people who within the first even four episodes uh, up until the fourth episode, because it was the fourth episode where they really start to peel back what's happening right. in the story. They really hadn't done that up until that point. It was very thing, little things that were weird, but they weren't being straightforward with, OK, what's what's going on here? Because basically, here's what what Disney and, and Marvel did with this series. They said, we're going to take two Avengers characters, superhero movie characters, and we're going to place them in these nostalgic sitcom themes. and they didn't explain even why they did that until like the end of the series. They just did it. Disney and Marvel were never supposed to release this one first, but because of the pandemic and everything that happened, it ended up shifting the release date. So originally it was supposed to be Falcon and Winter Soldier first, which I think because that was the espionage action superhero movie kind of show, that would have been the more palatable entry for people because they were coming into this going, okay, we just watched, the last bit of Marvel that anyone had seen was Endgame or uh, the Spider-Man movie that came out right after. Uh, right, Far From Home. Yeah. Right. So it was still superhero movies, action, comedy, and love story and whatever. That's all fine and good. And here's this show that's where they have these two characters. They place them in an old sitcom and they weren't telling you why. 
So the audience needed to shut up and take the journey, but audiences are not really about that. As you could tell from any, any show that like WandaVision, like Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, or any of these other kinds of shows where people become so into their own fan theories and their own ideas of what the show could be or possibly can be, they in some ways ruin the show for themselves. Because they go, okay, this is everything that's going to happen and they're going to give me everything I want, right? And then when the show goes, no, this was never in the plan and we're going to give you this story that we planned from the beginning. And people start going, hey, why didn't you give me the story you promised me when it was never really promised to begin with? Right. Anybody can do that. So to say it's just the kids who were kind of bored by the show to begin with, I think it's inaccurate just because there's there were so many people mm-hmm. of any and all ages who were like, hey, I turned this on because I wanted to see a superhero show and this isn't a superhero show. What the heck is going on here? You know, they got to that point eventually. And I, and I thought the journey was great. But there are people to this day that still don't even didn't care for the show because they were like, yeah, I wanted to see. That's not what a superhero show is. I wanted to see a superhero show. It's like, all right, well, Kevin Feige, who runs Marvel, said from the very beginning that superhero is not a genre. Superhero are the characters in the movie, but it's not a genre. And I think that Marvel's done a good job between stuff like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is very heavily comedy, even though they're all a little amusing, but like Guardians of the Galaxy is a comedy. It's mm-hmm. a funny movie. Yeah. Um, to something like the Captain America movies, which are all a little more espionage, the Hunt for October kind of like Tom mm-hmm. Lindsay novel style stories, like political dramas and all that kind of other kind of stuff. They don't just stick to one thing. And this was very much them not sticking to one thing, which they're doing again now with Loki, which I don't know what's going to happen with that series, but it's definitely another one of those where it's like, okay, you have to stop and think about it. And people are already complaining about that too. Yeah, just for the listener's sake, for Loki, we are uh, recording this show after the third episode has aired. Just to give everybody some clairvoyance as to what uh, when we're recording and what we're talking about. Just before you interrupted me, I was about to say... I don't want to pin everything on Gen Z. <laughs> and okay. I, yeah, right. And I wanted walk to it, walk it back for yourself if you want to, Jeremy. No, no, no. I'm only going to walk it back for a hot <laughs> second. And the only no, reason no. I need Go to ahead. walk it back is because I am, I, I pride myself on not gatekeeping. And the only reason I brought up Gen Z was because a lot of the first reviews that I saw were from that generation. Mm-hmm. But to your credit, yes, Kevin Feige did say that superhero is not a genre each character services themselves to an audience's specific liking. Like if they like comedy, then they'll go watch Guardians. If they mm-hmm. like the espionage, they'll go watch Captain America. And somehow, some way, these brilliant writers were able to take all of those characters and put them in Avengers movies. So that is kind of like me just kind of pedaling back and being like, wait, 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 I didn't mean that. No, nope. I don't think you said anything too, uh, too offensive, pal. So don't worry about that. No, but I, I, I do, you know, I, I see also that perspective too, because you're looking at this from the streaming generation. Right, which was of course- Their perspective is gonna be, is very different from ours in the end. Their consumption of media is very different from our consumption. Especially for somebody like my son, who's only four years old, his consumption of media is going to be far crazier 
than what the generation now has. It's right. just going to change. And mm-hmm. and that's perfectly valid. So mm-hmm. now when we're talking about everything included in WandaVision, you know, we're talking about I Love Lucy and Bewitched. Do you think that audiences will still be able to go back and watch some of those old shows? Like I know Peacock just came out and they have a bunch of those old TV series out without having to pay for them. I know that Paramount Plus uh, has a bunch of those old television shows. Do you think that watching WandaVision will intrigue an audience to go back and watch some of those kinds of shows? It's going to... I don't know if exactly this show will. I mean, I think in some ways it might because people will go, what, what was it parodying? And that might, you know, intrigue somebody to check some things out. But I think that the lifeline of these old shows comes down to a lot of things in human tradition, which is it needs to be passed. You know, it needs, it needs to be passed down. Like there's a lot of old shows that I know you probably watched because your father liked that show. Same, same would go for me. An old show might be on and, you know, because my mother thought it was funny. I'm watching it and I think it's funny. At the same time, things from older generations look different to a newer generation's lens. I don't know how much that's going to play into if any of these shows really speak to a younger generation, but I think it's always going to come down to if someone grew up with a show and they want to show that show to their child and that child is now going to grow up with that show, Maybe they'll then show it to their child. And maybe that's how that gets passed on because it's not just like I was saying before, what's on TV. And it, it hasn't been that way for a generation already that mm-hmm. exists. I mean, my, um, my nephews are 16 and, and 20 years old. They consume media completely differently from how I did. You know, they, they had DVR where if mm, they wanted something, right. they, you know, they could record things. They grew up with, I didn't have any cable. They grew up with all the cable. <laughs> they had everything. And then they also were at the onset of streaming. Television has never been something that they've spent too much time on or paid too much attention on. There's not appointment TV like there used to be. It's not, like I was saying, be there Friday at eight to watch the show or else you'll miss it until it's in reruns. Right. TGIF um, was a huge part of our childhood. Right, right. It's it's not something that exists in the same kind of way. So people are going to... People are going to, as usual, consume what speaks to them. And that's really the thing about media now is, you know, people don't have to have cable to watch TV. They can just go through streaming services, through YouTube, through whatever, and and watch what they want to watch Mm -hmm. as opposed to just whatever's on. I I imagine that people are passing down, you know, story shows, whatever, to their children, to other generations. But whether that's something that they hold on to, I mean, that's time, time will tell. I don't know what happens to these old shows any and even you know shows that are not that old to us i mean we're not just talking about the the dick van dykes and the i love lucy's there's so many shows from our childhood friends is a perfect example of something that gets passed on uh, yeah absolutely yeah, I agree. yeah absolutely absolutely I and mean, i know you know plenty of people who oh i want to you know that's that's something we put on when we're having dinner with our kids Let's put put on friends off of whatever service it's on now Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's uh there there's oh, I was gonna say there's so many shows um from when we were kids that are already a little lost to time. There are a lot of shows that like um somebody uh, the other day I was you know making a conversation with somebody and somebody brought up the, the show Perfect Strangers. Oh, which I'm like I love I love that show when I was a kid and it's just, it, that's just one that you don't even think about anymore. Right, you don't even think about it. It's a show that had a long running lifespan on television was very entertaining was very funny had a good syndication run 
and now it's fallen off syndication. I don't think it's on a streaming service, not that I can think of. And not that I've seen. You know, who, who's who's thought about that show in, in recent years? So many shows like that. now. Right. And that's the other thing that I've I've actually been journeying into with this whole brand pretty much is that we as a society, it seems, decide what we're all going to collectively remember. And so when we as the individual go down the internet rabbit hole and see something like, oh, Perfect Strangers, there's a bumper for that show before my VHS recording of The Muppet Family Christmas. (laughs) So that's the only reason I still know that Perfect Strangers was a show that existed because instead of watching Perfect Strangers this evening on ABC, you're going to see a Muppet special. So that's the only reason I still remember that those kinds of shows existed. So when we take what is the pinnacle or the most iconic of these nostalgic television shows, I think that WandaVision is calling upon those iconic shows to be presented here, specifically for us growing up in the 90s with a show like Malcolm in the Middle, you Mm -hmm. know, and even going into the early 2000s with, I guess you would call them tropes, but I don't want to use that term because I feel like it, is a disservice to the work put into WandaVision Mm -hmm. as a whole. I feel like the references are spot on, especially the performances of Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany, as as you said before. I actually want to get into that a little bit. I think that they did tremendous work in keeping true to their character's form. Yeah. And Paul Bettany still trying to figure out as Vision what am I (laughs) going through the fifties, the sixties, seventies. And for our backstory of, of Wanda Maximoff having her father come home with all of those DVDs of American television shows. I think there were even VHSs. Right. But that's Wanda's nostalgia. Right. Right. That's her safe haven. That is her her soft, fuzzy feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Powered by nostalgia. Yeah. And and having those shows from decades past, she doesn't need to know what society is like today in America. She doesn't need to know that as a kid. She just knows that these shows were funny. They were presented in a way, especially the audience of the day, to be entertaining. And that was it. They were made for the people who work the nine to fives to come home and forget about their life for half an hour. And that's exactly what this father did with his children. There's a war going on. Here's what I brought home. Let's enjoy ourselves. It's an escape. Right. It is the escape. And I think that I want to give a really big kudos to the writers of WandaVision for servicing that because it was at that moment that I decided I wanted to do a podcast on this series. Mm -hmm. It was that moment of seeing him open up the briefcase of DVDs of all these shows being like, of course, this is what it's all about. And now we're presenting it to an audience who, which actually brings me to my next question. Will the audiences still be nostalgic for television or series like this, like we have with WandaVision and and things coming out in streaming, especially in subject matter in the years to come with the current changing landscape of entertainment becoming more precocious and wise or, or woke, if you will. Do you think that audiences will still be nostalgic for that? Time will tell. I don't think that there's any 
any any answer I give you to that would be pure speculation. I mean, right. we don't know. You know, we don't know what the next generation is going to hold firmly in their heart and remember fondly. What's what's there? What what brings them that warmth, that warmth of nostalgia, like you said. I think what's going to be funny with a show like this is that, you know, because I think a lot of these, these streaming shows that become the big show of the moment that, you know, families do watch together. That's a thing that people were talking about. I saw um, Catherine Hahn, who's in the series, an interview with Seth Meyers, and he was saying to her how it almost felt like the old days again, because he would sit down with his kids and his wife and they would all watch WandaVision together. And even though it's different, it's it's you can set family time to your own schedule. So it's not just the appointment TV of, look, I want to sit down and watch this at eight o'clock, but dad has something he wants to watch and mom's, you know, doing something also, or, you know, maybe your dad works and he can't be there at Friday at eight o'clock to watch something with you. A family can pick a time to say, we're all going to sit and watch this together. And we're all going to enjoy this together. So I think that the nostalgia will still be there but it will be there in a new way. It'll be there in, based on everyone's you know, personal experience. It's also, I think, something that'll be I, that I think will be interesting moving forward is what will people take from WandaVision? That they'll find nostalgia for this show, not realizing it's a reference to something else. Mm. Like I can imagine people seeing the little cartoon of Wanda flying on the broom with Vision sitting behind her. And you know that's something they put on t-shirts now and, and you know, they, they, that's referencing WandaVision, the people go, oh, yeah, WandaVision, when they see that, not realizing that that was based on Bewitched, like not realizing that right. that's not a show, because I, there's so much of that. I mean, any, anytime you look on Twitter and someone's asking, like, who's this Paul McCartney guy or something like that, there's there's someone out there, say, not getting a reference, not getting that something they're finding out for the first time is something that's maybe common knowledge to everybody else. So I'm curious what of those story beats become, you know, something that that people will only reference this series for not realizing they're referencing something at the same time. And which actually brings me to my next question, which I think you will be able to answer with your knowledge of comic books in general. What is the crafting of this show's overall presentation taught us about the importance of nostalgia when conveying it to an audience through this kind of medium in an impactful way? Nostalgia is very powerful. I think that this is a a testament to that. Wanda created a safe space for herself. She envisioned, pun entirely intended, a world that was better than her own based on TV shows that she watched. That's not something that is lost on an audience that's watching it. There's plenty of people out there that watched the way that the Huxtable family interacted or the way that Danny Tanner was with his kids or any of those shows from back in the day and thought of a better family life for themselves. So it's, it's something real that people connect their nostalgia to their trauma. Mm. And that's what happened with Wanda. It was a very interesting uh, view of trauma through the lens of nostalgia. And a lot of people have that. Uh, a favorite actor of both of ours is, is Robin Williams. And just the other day I saw Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire was on TV. I didn't realize how many people connected strongly with that film and connected strongly with Robin Williams because they grew up without a father. You know, people who've said to me, like, the portrayal of a father who loved their kids so much he would do anything for them, even become their elderly Scottish maid, (laughs) you know, spoke to me as a child. So people will find the nostalgia that speaks to them. And that's, I think, what was explored most of the show and will connect to an audience that, you know, feels that in themselves. 
It's very interesting that you brought that up. I just wrote it down on a post-it note, which shows how old I am. People connect or people somehow use their or channel their trauma through nostalgia. Yeah. And that crafting of Wanda's character is something that we can't really do in real life, obviously, but she has somehow been able to form exactly what her safe space is. Mm. I think people are drawn to that. Audiences were drawn to the realization that she created this safe space for herself. But then, of course, you as the audience, you are precocious nowadays because we're fed so much that we ourselves could be like, wow, what kind of a safe space would I create? Would it be based off of my nostalgia? Would it be based off of a place that I've been? Do I just want to escape? And that escapism is so crucial to how they are developing these characters, especially Wanda, who has experienced so much trauma as a, you know, just going through everything we've seen her go through since we were introduced to her. Mm-hmm. Now we're able to see this evolution in a way of her becoming the Scarlet Witch. But we saw it happen through things that traumatized her, but also made her feel a sense of control. Like she had, con- she had absolute control over what she was nostalgic for. Right. And that's something that I feel we can all connect with because that's so it's so inwardly personable and it's so relatable that what we all as a society decide what's nostalgic, we have our own personal nostalgia that connects with us in a way that nobody else is going to be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. In doing so, we're presented with this beautiful series where you're able to tell a compelling story, have these characters develop and not just be so two-dimensional. We are able to flush out our own feelings of that nostalgia through witnessing what someone else has gone through and be like, oh, I get it. Yeah, and that's, and that's I mean, the magic of what they do with these characters in this um, you know, media empire now. But what it's built off of is people identifying with the characters. You can be the most fantastical, out-of-this-world creature, but if they don't have the heart, it's not going to be worth a damn, and people are not going to connect to them. And so Wanda, who has the power to reshape the world, to mask her own trauma using nostalgia, is something that they still find a way to be very relatable to people who introspectively can see that in themselves. What nostalgic thing do I hold on to because it's connected to something that it was, it was a safety blanket. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of the times the things that we're nostalgic for are things that we cared for that, that brought us through something. So interesting. I want to shout out another past guest of ours. His name is Bawa. And he actually brought that very question up to me, which I actually want to do something with in the future. And it's, is there painful nostalgia? And that's something I'm exploring now. So it's very interesting that we brought this up. But after discussing WandaVision's take on using classic television to tell this great, compelling story, which I I don't know about you, I really enjoyed this show. Yeah, I love the show. I love the show. I, I thought it was awesome. My yeah. wife um, watched it separate from me because I was watching it at random hours of the morning or whatever. Right. And she's just like, what the heck are you doing? Like, I want to watch the show. <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> slap on the wrist for me. Yeah. But she watched it too. But both of us loved it. 
But uh, like I was saying, after discussing WandaVision's take on using classic television to tell this compelling story, will society continue to bring themselves to watch television from years past as it is, was, and forever will be? And will their nostalgia for it be one of the key factors and driving forces moving forward? We touched upon this a little bit, but I will say this. In my household, we actually do choose 7 o'clock at night or 7.30 at night or 8 o'clock at night on like a Wednesday night to watch a show together as a family. We say like, this is the time we're going to do this together. A lot of families might just be like, okay, when everybody's ready, come on into the room. My wife and I have actually made it a point that at 8 o'clock, a Wednesday evening, we're going to watch something together. I think that is rooted in tradition, but of course, families and cultures are changing now. So who knows what each family is going to do. Having some kind of tradition like that, at least to my family, is important because it is dedication of time. And it is the gift of time that we give ourselves to watch shows together and watch movies together and be able to consume it together at a very definitive time so that when he grows up, he can say, oh yeah, every Wednesday at eight o'clock, my mother and father and I would sit down in the living room and watch television together. That's something that's really important to me. That's going to build upon his personal nostalgia. And it actually makes me feel very good about myself as like a father being like, we have a schedule. We're going to get together as a family and do this together. This is something that I pride myself on. Do you think that with television and and he's watching the Muppet show from the seventies with me, you know, so he doesn't even know who Harry Belafonte is, but he wants to watch that episode and you'll be very proud. He does not ask for the star Wars episode of Muppet show. He asks for the Muppet show with Mark Hamill. (laughs) I am very proud. (laughs) But anyway, I want to hear your thoughts on this. What you're describing is something I I agree is important. And I think it's something that, you know, I hope more people take the time to do because otherwise, like like we've been talking about, there isn't that appointment TV anymore. Um, What you have to remember, though, is that it's also a luxury that you have that and that you have that time to set with your family because a lot of families don't work like that. People just don't want to watch things with their kids or don't have the time to watch things with their kids. And that, that happens plenty also. So I think like so many other things in the, in our, in our human existence, the tradition of passing something on happens this way. You saying, you know, let's watch the Muppet show, which aired before you were born, but <laughs> was still something that you remember watching and was important to you is going to be something that you're going to pass along to your child. In that same regard, does he then go and say, when he's older and he has a child, and you know, the Muppet Show is still going to be airing somewhere in uh, Disney Universal Hulu Plus or whatever it's going to be at that point. <laughs> I remember watching this with my dad. Hey, I'm going to put on the Muppet Show because it's something that he has fond memories of. Yeah, I think that, that that would be the case. I hope that would be the case. Not everybody's going to have that. And also, there's going to be a lot of things that just in you know modern context doesn't speak to people anymore. Um, you know, WandaVision, you know, those characters are, are from Marvel. Marvel has a history spanning back to Captain America in the 1940s and even before that. Yeah, there's a lot of those old comics that I'm aware of as a comic book reader, that I know the stories, but actually sitting down and reading them, being controversial and brave here, 
is a task for me because they just don't read the way a modern comic does. And because there's references in it that just seem like so passe to me, like the, the character of the Wasp is one that in very early Avengers, all she does all the time is talk about like which Avenger she thinks is hunky because that's what the girl character in the comics does. And it's just so like, oh man, this is a headache. You know, it's hard to get through <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. So even though I know the stories, I know what those stories are and what they were and what was being told and why they're important and why people like Stanley and, and, and the people that he worked with at that time are important to the industry. I'm not going to go back and read some of that stuff because it just doesn't, it doesn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we all have our, our barriers when it comes to nostalgia. Like we can go back this far and kind of no further, you know, and then everybody's is a little different. It doesn't matter what your age is. It matters what you've been exposed to. And as long as you have those rose colored glasses of nostalgia, something's always going to be good in your eyes. You know, if, if you're nostalgic for something and you love it, it's always going to be good in your eyes. But sometimes, you know, if you don't have those, those nostalgic glasses on and you take a look at something, and you're going, hmm okay, I know this is important. I know it's good. I know people like it. I don't care. You know, I don't care and I'm not going to read it. It's going to be the same thing with television. You know, there are going to be people that maybe their parents sit them down and show them I Love Lucy and they're like, okay, you know, I see that you guys think this is funny. I don't find it funny. Arguably, they're wrong for thinking that, but that's their opinion and, and right. they're not going to be the type of person to pass it on to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think, you know, that's, that's what it's going to look like in, in the long term because everything, if everything's going to be available to us, then you can pick what you want to be available to you. You can pick what you're going, what's going to continue on in your bubble, in your mm-hmm. world, in your nostalgia. Yeah, I think that this all has to deal with personal taste and personal preference. And that's very interesting that you brought up, you know, how far do you want to go back? Mm-hmm. I can go back pretty freaking far. Yeah. yeah, I like figuring out and delving into how we got to where we got and why we got to where we got to now. I love mm-hmm. that. But that's just me. And it's not just history. It's like my grandfathers had a nostalgia for the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers pay their nickel to spend a day in the air-conditioned theaters and watch the newsreels and the cartoons. And then they were so stoked when the Marx Brothers came on screen or they were so stoked to see like three Three Stooges episodes back to back. Did I latch onto that with the Marx Brothers? Absolutely. There's something very palpable about that. And it's comedy, you know, and of course, a lot of the shows that WandaVision addresses are sitcoms. So this is like sitcoms, ancient caveman, you know what I mean? So, (laughs) So it's like you're taking these different approaches and you're just kind of seeing them develop into what they are now. Yeah. I can totally agree with you that it's up to the individual, how far they want to go back. And that's something I actually never thought about before. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. (laughs) Put it on a post-it note. (laughs) Go ahead. One other note on that is that really we as a society have the capacity to go back very far with our nostalgia. It's why art museums exist. It's why, you know, certain texts are always taught in school. I think one thing that's going to be relevant there also is things that are culturally important. When it comes to media, movies, television, there's going to be a lot more lost than what we look at as far as literature, music, and history, because those arts are seen more frivolously and therefore will be treated less importantly. You know, something that could be very important to 
certain people may be even important for their for its time may be lost because society decides what continues to be culturally relevant you know that's why kids who have no interest in learning Shakespeare have to learn Shakespeare in high school I personally enjoy Shakespeare I know you do as well mm-hmm. but it's not something for everybody and it's going to be that it's just it's kind of always going to be that way but in a world where everything can be available everyone can choose what's still going to survive <laughs> that's definitely a really good point especially on on Shakespeare you can say hey this movie that you like well guess what it was based off of this and right. sometimes that's all that person needs to know right it doesn't mean they need to do like a full-on class three weeks of learning Romeo and Juliet they sure. know that story mm-hmm. yeah so I, mean, I totally yeah. understand and and you know ideally don't think of it as a love story don't learn your Shakespeare from Taylor Swift song. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Any final thoughts on WandaVision and or classic television? I, I feel like I've, I've spoken enough. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I think I've gotten everything out. I guess uh, any final thought that I would have is watch it again. Hopefully you'll watch the show again with a new perspective. And if you're going to watch it again and you pick up on any of the old shows that they're parodying or, uh, or referencing in that show, I encourage you to check them out at least an episode of each. I think you'll learn a lot. I think it will be good for you to see how far we've come and where storytelling can go from here. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Chris, as always, it's been a pleasure, my brother. Thank you so much for joining me again. And we'll definitely have you back on again. So happy to do this with you, man. And uh, yeah, anytime, anytime you need me, uh, put the bat signal up in the sky. You got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. All right. Take care. Take care, man. Another huge thanks to my friend Chris, who was our first returning guest onto the podcast. Everyone, thank you so much for listening every single time we put out a podcast. Remember that you can also find It's Nostalgic Magic on YouTube and Twitch as well. I am humbled and proud that you choose It's Nostalgic Magic as a continued source of your entertainment. All of our social media accounts and links are in the description of the podcast. And please, as always, take care of yourselves and each other for whenever you remember why. Bye, everyone.